SAFM 104 to 107 nationwide. Leading the conversation. The Viewpoint, weekdays, 8 to 10 p.m. on SAFM. On the viewpoint. Welcome back, everybody. It is the viewpoint. It is Thursday, the seventeenth of December. We are just over a week from Christmas. Let that sink in. The year that has been. Fathers' rights and access to children. A conversation we've had, and one that dovetails with that. Children's development and sensory play with Miss Candice Dupria. And, of course, we had most recently a conversation with some young scientists, young medical interven- interveners in Ms. Tebucho Munoho, as well as Vanessa Samuels of the Northwest University and UCT, respectively. Now, equally, we're talking about something which is important in the science space, ESCOM Expo for Young Scientists. Mr. Andrew Etzinger, who's the spokesperson for ESCOM, and Ms. Bartha Chetty, who's the spokesperson for the Expo Science itself, are both on the line. But let's start first, please, with Ms. Chetty. Ms. Chetty, good evening. Thank you so much for joining us. Good evening, Songhezo, and good evening to your listeners. The importance of this partnership with ESCOM. Hello? Yes, yes, yes. Can you hear us? Yeah, just repeat that, please. No, I'm saying just can you please talk to us about the importance of this partnership with ESCOM in particular? Okay, sure. Thanks. Uh, quite, it's a question we've, we've asked uh, quite often. Uh, and uh, the best way to, to describe it is uh, let's look at it from uh, the ESCOM point of view as an NGO that has got a 40-year track record on promoting uh, project-based learning in science, technology, engineering, and maths. Then we look at the perspective of uh, ESCOM. Uh, ESCOM not only is a power uh, supplier to the country, they also need to generate or recruit uh, engineers and scientists to solve problems for the future. So ESCOM looked at Expo to say, you are now providing us with uh, a, a good catchment of young scientists and engineers that we could use in the next 10 years. And at the same time, the entire industry in South Africa will benefit from the young scientists and engineers come to our program. And as an NGO, we rely on donor funding to be able to continue with the good work that we are doing. So it's, it's a very good uh, relationship uh, that we have uh, with ESCOM. And uh, we're really grateful for the investment with us for the past uh, 20 odd years. And uh, they, they committed to actually continue to walk the park with us. Because Expo for Young Scientists is not just a program that's funded by ESCOM. It has also become a national initiative because the Department of Basic Education and the Department of Science and Innovation have taken ownership and invested in the program. So we've actually grown from a little project to a national initiative. So there's a lot of weight on our shoulders uh, to say. 
It is important, isn't it? Because of the many challenges that the power utility is facing, these are some of the stories that will not come out of it. And this important intervention is especially important in the context of not just science and technology, but education in the country, related innovation, and also responding to the challenges that the world has as it pertains to STEM. Certainly. Uh, the trends worldwide, so to put it mildly, uh, we are not looking in a good shape worldwide. If we think South Africa has got problems in getting sufficient scientists, some of the biggest nations are in a much worse situation. For example, Germany, one of the leading countries for decades in engineering, they make the best quality product, whether it's cars or machines. Germany is not producing sufficient engineers. They are now uh, offering free tuition to anybody even in South Africa, to come and study engineering in Germany. Now, that is a huge wake-up call. So if Germany, a leading nation, is in that situation, can you imagine what the others look like? So let's take care of our own in South Africa. Mm. And I think, I think we've got the support of both ministers of education and science and innovation. So we've got the political buy-in. And the ministers are very positive. They are absolutely supportive of what we do. More so, we actually prove ourselves. Our learners compete internationally. So when you compete internationally, they don't care where you come from. They don't care whether you're in a quintile one school or a private school. Yes. They judge you for what's in front of them. And our learners who come from government schools have been winning top awards over the past few years, competing with the best in the world. Mm -hmm. So our government is quite confident and comfortable. So is Eskom and a whole host of other sponsors that say, listen, we believe in what you're doing because we want the, the, uh, to benefit from those learners. We need those kind of scientists in the inquiring minds. Now, earlier you heard of uh, project-based learning, you know, how, how it needs to take shape in South Africa. We focus on project-based learning, but with a focus on STEMI education. So you see, we are not actually working in a silo. We are actually working supporting or alongside your general education and, and further education. So what happens in the classroom, we provide a platform for those learners who say, I've got something special that I want to demonstrate. I think I'm special. I think I've got good research skills. That's what we cater for. And we work, we dovetail with the education system. Let's talk about making access for a wider audience a possibility. Naturally, there are inherent challenges to the South African system in making sure that there's an equal opportunity for those quintile one learners, as you've referred to them, as well as your private school learners. Nonetheless, there rests the overriding obligation to give, as far as is reasonably possible, everybody who qualifies an opportunity. And I'm thinking now in relation to those schools that might not have science that is offered or science that is offered by a teacher who probably might not be sufficiently trained to be able to engage these extracurricular activities or sufficiently resourced to be able to engage these extracurricular resources. And simply those schools that are way too rough the grid so as to want to participate, much less even attempt to participate on these expos. How then can we change the narrative? Because 
there is no truth in saying that just because you have no opportunity, you therefore do not have the facility to make the kinds of interventions. In fact, it might even be argued those who are in dire situations and circumstances are the ones who carry the innovation because they know exactly what is needed by the presence of resources. You are spot on. We, we call them diamonds in the rough. We see innovations coming out of learners from rural areas that we wouldn't have thought about. Simply because we live in a big city, we don't see the same, we don't experience the same perspective as them. And those learners have access to participate. Now, the reality is COVID has taught us something, the lockdown has taught us something, is firstly, uh, the learner cannot go through the education system on their own or just with a teacher. Sure. And neither, neither can any other initiative like Expo work in a silo. So we've got to work together with the teacher, with the Department of Education, with Science and Innovation. But one of the key things we found out, initially, during lockdown, learners were at home. They had no access to school. And we realized it's a challenge. And learners are going to be left behind. What we then had to do, we had to re-engineer the way we implement. Traditionally, Expo has been a face-to-face competition and workshop for the past 39 years. This year, we resorted to a lot of work being done online. And granted, learners in the remote areas may not have access to the same quality libraries and resources as the learners in the big city and your quintile five and private schools. We then had to repurpose all our material. We took the books and the animated materials and we put it in a format that can be accessed even from a cell phone. What we also realized is that sometimes learners cannot access training using Microsoft Teams or Zoom and so on. And I was absolutely astounded when I came across running a kind of training session using WhatsApp. Now, we were were recording short sound bites of about a minute, and we continued talking, but WhatsApp was transmitting short sound bites that the learner in the most rural area with poor connectivity was able to receive the sound bites. And we were now able to support the learners. So the reality is the digital divide is growing, Mm -hmm. but we cannot allow learners to be left behind. So we changed the way we do things. We also employed a series of mentors across the country. Now, a mentor is a university student, like your two um, graduates Mm -hmm. and postgraduates that you interviewed from uh, Northwest and, uh, yeah, I think Northwest and Cape Town. Yes. So we hire those graduates. And they work with a small cohort of learners to take them through a research process, teach them, support them, and at the end, ensure they they submit the project. Now, all of these cost funding. And in partnership with uh, SASTA, uh, we are able to hire mentors across the country, pay them, and give these learners an opportunity. So the reality is a lot of learners would have lost out on nine months of lockdown. But we ensured that no learner was left behind and we had to work, my team worked extremely hard. We developed a series of videos that we never thought we would have been able to do. We developed all content that was now digitized. It's available on our website and social media. So we've tried absolutely everything possible. We even provided data for the, for the students that said, listen, I would like to enter Expo, but I cannot afford data. We provided them with that data. And it's because of funding from ESCOM that we were able to afford to pay for data costs. 
and we manage the entire process from the national office. So again, no learner was supposed to be left behind with this kind of intervention. It was not easy at all. It was a huge learning curve for all of us. But we think we did the best under the circumstances. But a lot more needs to be done going forward so that the digital divide, especially for the quinta one, two, and three schools and rural schools, needs to be closed so those learners have equal access to high-quality resources that we can just walk to and find in the library in the big cities. Mm, mm, mm. This sounds very interesting. Well, sir, thank you very much for your time. We do appreciate that. Um, let's just take a short ad break. We will continue right afterwards. SAFM, leading the conversation. The Viewpoint, 8 to 10 p.m. Turning conventional wisdom on its head. On SAFM. We continue the conversation with the spokesperson for the Expo Science, Mr. Parta Chetty, talking to us about some of the wonderful innovations. And I cannot wait to hear specific examples that would have blown you away in relation to some of what these young men and women are doing in the sciences space. And for the record, these interventions are not just unique to South Africa. These are unique enterprising skills in the sciences that have taken the world by storm in many respects because all of these or at least a lot of these are novel and can be scaled and change the innovation stroke sciences agenda in the country that's one aspect to which that i wish for you to please respond to and then specifically as you confirm that which i hope you will give us specific examples of some of the things that these young men and women are in fact doing Sure, that's okay. So together we had 500 amazing projects and we had 40 projects from outside of uh, South Africa. But some of the key things uh, that that came through, uh, quite often children are swayed by what's going on around them and and quite rightly COVID is top of mind. However, the most number of projects came from engineering. Uh, Then was social sciences and biomedical sciences. And Equally important was environmental studies. Now, all of these made up 64% of the projects. Within them, we are seeing some amazing stuff. Now, for example, the biomedical, the the top scientist uh, that won the top uh, academic award is a learner from Bryanston, Ritik Mita. He was on ENCA yesterday morning. Now, he looked at um, developing a non-intrusive test for um, testing um, blood glucose level. now, to test glucose in the past, you, you constantly have to prick your finger and it's, it's quite irritable. So he's looking at these things because it's quite, it's actually a killer because anybody that's suffering with, uh, you know, um, some kind of uh, precondition, and if they did contract COVID, uh, there was a good chance that they would not survive. So these kind of, uh, you know, tests are absolutely important to help people. Now, this learner was able to do that. He won a number of uh, awards. And uh, it's a prototype that he's actually working on. He said it'll take him another year. And this very same learner that uh, won this award, he also developed uh, a wonderful energy-saving solar panel uh, last year and even won uh, an award at Intel ISAF. Um, It's the largest international science fair. So a South African learner competing against 1,500 learners in the world walks away with an award 
because of the way he designed a solar panel. Now, we know things like solar energy mm. is going to be absolutely important in South Africa and the rest of the world. Now, who knows? His, pro- his product may be marketed to the rest of the world because judged by international judges, they said, you know what, that is a damn good project. And uh, he's won uh, in the international market. We also have learners looking at uh, engineering projects. You know, quite often, uh, we, they see things with a different perspective. So what we take for granted, learners look at a problem and say, you know what, my cell phone keeps dying, and we would say, oh, uh, get a power bank or plug into the wall because we are in, a, in an office. But the learner that is walking to school does not have that facility. They have a backpack, and they're walking for 45 minutes to an hour, in the sun. So they now turn the backpack into a solar panel. So while walking to school, they are charging their cell phone. When they get to school, they leave their bag outside the classroom, still in the sun, and the power is being recharged. Now, these are absolutely innovative ideas that we don't experience because of our perspective. So these are just two amazing things uh, that we are seeing. And then the top junior scientist uh, from uh, Stellenbosch, she now investigated how a number on a keyboard can uh, you know, develop into a circuit and be used as a calculator. Now, sometimes we look around and we don't have an option of a calculator, and she was creative enough to actually look at these. And this is a young girl who's in grade uh, nine. So to get young children thinking about these kind of projects and possible solution is absolutely amazing. We also had uh, kids taking part in other competitions and also uh, winning. So our expo learners, are, are they train their minds. And this is why universities are absolutely interested in offering bursaries to the expo learners because they are already geared and their minds are trained to conduct research and they have a much higher chance of passing and going to postgrad uh, level at university. When you talk about this, you know, you mentioned COVID and how it has in many respects been the source of the kinds of innovation that we have seen. I was just, it came to my attention that there are challenges in relation to the vaccine, particularly from a patent perspective. The rich nations are blocking the releasing of patent rights, which normally hold for some 20 years, that would otherwise make the vaccine available to your poorer countries. Of course, the UK is fingered in that together with some other rich nations. When we talk about this kind of innovation, are we equally jealous or protectionist in our ways in relation to protecting the IP and the related intelligence that we are generating that, of course, is being exposed to the world, but nonetheless being protected from within? Um, I think it's about time we started uh, doing that, uh, not in a selfish way, but if we look at uh, global competitiveness, we have lost a lot of South Africans to the USA because they have a much better concept of crowdfunding and especially for startups. Uh, Shuttleworth, uh, is one example of who became a millionaire because of his, uh, you know, security concept for credit card transaction. Uh, Elon Musk uh, mm-hmm. left South Africa. He would never have been that successful in South Africa because we did not have the kind of supportive framework to support those uh, innovations. Um, there are other Expo winners in the past that lost their, pro- well, not lost their product, they sold their IP and their products to startups in the USA because nobody in South Africa 
was interested at the time. Now, this is a problem uh, that we've been experiencing in the past. We also look at Africa. Africa is predominantly a user economy. We are not competitive. Now, why should we allow that to happen? Why should we import blueprints and manufacture Mercedes and BMWs and electronics in South Africa when we can develop our own kind of concepts and engineering? So it's about time we started doing this. And with, in partnership with the Technology Innovation Agency, which is a, a, a branch of Department of Science and Innovation, they've also realized that we are losing too many of these IPs. So they have partnered with us and are funding a grassroots innovation uh, program. Now, those grassroots innovation is not what you see coming out of big cities and at these fancy expositions and trade fairs. Mm. You will see these projects before it gets presented at one of the expos. The grassroots level is what comes from the rural part of Limpopo, from the Eastern Cape, from the Northern Cape. So we already have a program in place that we started last year to ensure that whatever innovation that comes out of South Africa, we identify it, we provide support to the learners, and next year our learn 20 of our learners are going to participating in an innovation and entrepreneurship boot camp worth a half a million rand. It's to pick up these young innovators and groom them so that their product can go to market. We will, with TIA, we'll help them to actually get it registered with the intellectual property. We have lawyers that are going to assist with the legal process of registering patents. And the learners will need funding to use laboratories. To, for example, the glucose uh, meter we need to take that to the next level, but the school kid is not going to fund it from his own pocket. So in so. partnership with TIA, we partner with incubation hubs at various universities, and we take that, into, um, that product into, uh, into the next level. And that becomes a South African-born innovation. We are then in a position to actually mm. sell it to the rest of the world, as have, we have been doing with many other products that we don't actually know. I mean, things like the creepy crawly that cleans pools. Yeah. The South African invention that is sold overseas. But not everybody has a pool, so it's not that obvious. So there are a lot of things. And I think we are, we, we, we've taken the decision that we are going to protect our IP. More importantly, we must provide an opportunity for these learners to stay in South Africa and not go to the USA because they yeah. get funding there. That's what happened. So I think we are getting that right now. And of course, we need partnerships, particularly with Proudly SA and Brand SA and small business development and ultimately trade and industry for this to work. It does need a concerted public effort, as it would, of course, a private interest. 30 seconds, final comment. Sure, no, you, you are quite right. We, we cannot grow up in a, a silo, neither can we produce uh, innovation in a silo. These partners, we are always welcoming partners because we are working towards providing innovation and entrepreneurs for South Africa. So we will take partners in hand and work together towards this. Sir, thank you so much for your time. I am actually excited because it does tell me from what you've said, the future certainly is young and is that much brighter.
Thank you, Sangezi, and your listeners. Mr. Bhatta Chetty, spokesperson for the Expo Science, the XCOM Expo for, Sci- for Young Scientists. That then was a snapshot of the excitement coming from that space. That was the show for this week. I will not be around next week. We will have a date again on the 5th, on the 4th of January, I beg your pardon, in the new year. Much love to you all. And finally, thank you so much for the support this year. It's been heavy, but here we are. We live to tell another tale for tomorrow. Bye-bye.